Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, you guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. Hello! Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. I am Chris Sinclair, joined by my fellow co-host, Mr. Drew Garrison. Drew! Hello! 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 Hello. Are you you channeling your inner Mrs. Doubtfire? It's my inner Seinfeld. Oh, okay. I definitely went Doubtfire on that one. And I've been I've been watching Seinfeld, so I guess I'm not paying attention. That's uh that's unfortunate. How are you this morning? What are you drinking? What's going on? We're doing a morning podcast, so Yeah. The I'm options drinking, are a little bit different. Uh, I'm uh, just finished my uh, my Americano, uh, the coffee varietal. Mm-hmm. And I'm about to down uh, this Underberg, uh, inspired by our guest. Uh, if that gives it away, you know, good. Well, so we have a we have a pretty good pretty good episode today. We're going to talk about uh, the Dead Rabbit founders going their separate ways and what projects they have uh, coming up, and then Miller Lite trying to make your beer drinking experience just a little bit more Miller time. Um, but our guest today was a research chef for Alton Brown. He's an aspiring sailor. He's the beverage director of Amore Margo. He's the co-host of the Speakeasy podcast. He's the author of I'm Just Here for the Drinks and Let's Get Blitz in 60 plus Christmas cocktails. One of those books was written in his notes app on his freaking iPhone, which is mental. Uh, our guest is the legend himself, Suther Teague. Suther, welcome, man. What are you sipping on? Tell us about yourself. All the fun things. Thank you for being here. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for inviting me on. Um, I don't have anything in my hand at the moment, but I, I've already had my Underberg for the day. Uh, I think that's what, what inspired uh, Chris to have one. I drink an Underberg every morning because I don't drink coffee. So it's the first thing that I have when I get up and get going. Um, and no, I'm just happy to be on the show, man. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. So, okay. Now, for some of our listeners, not everyone is like the industry veteran. What is Underberg and why is it your go-to morning drink? Well, Underberg toes the line between a tincture and a potable bitter. So, you know, it's not quite uh, something you drink by the glass like Campari, but it's no, nor is it something you use by the drop like Angostura. Um, Though it is, I guess, most technically a tincture bitter. It's served uh, uh, in a little bottle that's wrapped in paper, uh, almost like a tiny Worcestershire bottle. Um, And you're meant to drink the whole thing at once. It's only uh, three quarters of an ounce. Um, And their tagline is uh, after a great meal. Um, so you're supposed to drink it sort of as a digestif. Um, but because I don't drink coffee and never have, uh, some years ago, I, I started the habit of having an Underberg when I wake up. It kind of gets my system going, you know, so it's a shock to the system. It's only three quarters of an ounce. It's um, very herbal and bitter, which, again, it, you know, activates your system, which is what coffee is doing for you in the morning as well, because it's bitter as well. Um, so it's just my sort of giddy up every day. Nice. And I know that for a lot of people in our industry, it's kind of like a hangover remedy at times, too. Um, I don't know how much you believe in that. I mean, it's just, you know, you're doing it regardless every day. So I'm sure some days you have a, you know, potentially hangover, some days you don't. What's what's been your experience with that? Um, <clears throat> you're going to hate my answer, I think, because uh, everybody does. Um, there is a small percentage of human beings that metabolize alcohol in a different way uh, that results in them not having a hangover. Uh, I am one of them. I've never had a hangover in my life. So, 
Oh my god, you're right. I was like, I was like, there's no way I'm about to hate this guy. Like I've just been waxing poetically to him for the past 20 minutes, and I was like, nope, mood has changed. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I will tell you this in one short sentence, I can describe the double-edged sword nature of that part of my um, being. Um, I lived in New Orleans for three years, so they tell me. <laughs> right when you have no off switch i have nothing that tells me that maybe i shouldn't have one more drink so i still do that's this, you know just because i don't get hungover doesn't mean i don't get very drunk blackout drunk um and so when i lived in new orleans where it's a non-stop city 24 hours a day possible drinking i just uh it's a it's a three-year blur for me right so now when it comes to determining this magical enzyme that you possess is this purely just based off of like anecdotal evidence or it's like i mean is you know have you like have you looked into this like is there people that have done research yeah there are in fact this for a long time i thought uh you know i was just i don't know lucky uh i thought man one day a shoe's gonna drop and it's gonna change right uh you know Mm -hmm. now i'm 52 years old and that still hasn't happened so um yeah you can look it up um the estimate is actually higher than you'd imagine right away the estimate's something like 26 27 percent of people and think, wow, that's one out of four. Right. Uh, um, but the difference is that, you know, a lot of people don't drink at all. A lot of people are too young to drink. A lot of people have reasons that they don't drink health wise, et cetera. A lot of people are uh, elderly and don't drink. So the, the number of actual active drinkers that have this thing and have found out that they have it, because don't forget there's people who may not drink enough to get a hangover. So they, they've never discovered that they don't get hangovers. Um, so like, uh, if you look, it's the range is like somewhere 25, 27% of people have this. But only around, you know, maybe like nine to eleven percent use it <laughs> for lack of use it. <laughs> use use their superpower. <laughs> yeah, um, and, but you know, as I mentioned before, um, sure, if it's a superpower, uh, then it, it has uh, it has the same weight of responsibility than any other superpower does. You know, with with great power comes great responsibility, and so I have to uh, be mindful. You know, if I'm out and about with some friends, I'm and if I get to a, a certain place in my Im- imbibement. Um, I suddenly become like the guy who's like, let me buy everybody a drink. Cause, cause I don't have an off switch, but I see everybody slowing down. So I want, I want to get them back in the game. Right. So I'm a dangerous drinking partner. <laughs> I, I believe it. So there's, there's a couple of things that, that you're known for in terms of, in terms of this industry. I mean, uh, I mean, obviously you've put out some really great books, but then, um, you know, you're also known for your red frame glasses. I mean, that's kind of like the signature look that, that we can see right now, but then also really being a champion for both like Amaro's and bitters and things of that nature where like now there, there is a lot more bars that are focused on that type of programming and things like that. But when you were start, when you started it, like you were, you were kind of the first one through the wall. What was it about Amaro's and bitters that you were kind of like, Hey, the American market needs to embrace this a lot, a lot more than we are right now. Mm, I think it's stubbornness. (laughs) I wanted people (laughs) to do something that I wanted them to do. Um, I think, if you back up a couple of steps, you know, you mentioned that I, I was a chef and I was for, for a long time, 12 years, um, basically, you know, a career. Um, and in that world, I was in the world of savory, you know? Um, so I think that when I got behind the bar, my first experience behind the bar was just explosive. Like I just wanted to check everything out. You know, I was coming off a job as a, a researcher in the culinary world and moving into uh, a job behind a bar. And so I applied that same research mentality. I went to find all the books I could find, read all the things I could get a hold of. This kind of predates blogs and the internet, but that came along as well. Um, 
And so I was all over the place, man. I was making everything I could make. But what I started to notice over time, and when I say time, I mean years, you know, I've been bartending now for 21 years. So what I started noticing over time is that I would personally lean towards these more sort of savory drinks. You know, I was not so much drinking, personally drinking, you know, maybe something shaken with juice in it. I was drinking the drinks that I found that were stirred. Um, and then I started noticing the sort of tying bind between them all was these liqueurs from, from all over the world, mostly Italy. And of course, tincture bitters came into play quite a bit as well. Um, so I think that my personal path led me to a place where I wanted to have a, a space that sort of focused on that. And then to go back to the other part of your question, which is like first through the wall, strangely, 11 years in, Amori Margo just turned 11 years old this past month, March 21st. Um, strangely, I think we're still the kind of only ones through the wall who've gone all in. Since we opened, there's many, many bars who have increased their visibility of uh, Amari and bitters on the bar. They've increased their usage of stirred spirit forward drinks. Um, they've highlighted them much more, reached out for the more esoteric ones, um, but no one only serves that, which is all we do. You know, for 11 years, we've never had a drop of juice on the bar. We don't shake any drinks. We don't make anything. In fact, um, every single thing we use comes out of a bottle. I love saying to people, my only non-alcoholic ingredient on the entire bar is water. I have flat, frozen, and bubbly, right? So we're still, I think, the only ones out there that I know of, and I'm happy to be corrected because I'd love to see someone else get in the game too, um, that is so all in, like no no chips left on the table. We pushed them all to the middle. Yeah, I think stubbornness is probably a good way to sum that up then, you know? <clears throat> it is. Uh, you know, basically uh, what we did was <laughs> we opened a place that's frankly uncomfortably small it's 240 square feet um we filled it with with items that no one's ever seen or heard of <laughs> uh and we expect them to come in and, and give us money for that like it's pretty crazy i've right. always you uh, actively <laughs> yeah we do and i've always <laughs> referred to amori margo as the bumblebee bar um you know in comparison to all the other places that i have purview over um we call it the bumblebee because um it's not aerodynamically sound but somehow it flies so one of, um, you know, again, kind of going going through your history and, you know, there's there's a lot of information out there, but you were talking about your your perfect bar and how, you know, it's going to have the right ambiance, it's going to have the right music, it's going to have the right balanced cocktails and the right hospitality. And it's like, and, you know, you basically went, that's, some people would call that the perfect bar. I call that bar, bar go-to. Goto, yeah. Goto. Sorry, I didn't know. I was just like, I was like, okay, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take a swing at this. Um, uh, okay, so is that bar still around? Because I feel like that's a question we have to ask now. Yes. Um, okay, cool. And then you know, for you with your level of experience, you know, between being you know a beverage director plus your years as a chef, like, what is it about that bar that you just feel it because I, I saw it referenced in multiple places for you. Like this yeah. place obviously means a lot to you. And then when you are in control of so many innovative projects, because, you know, you you have a Margo, but you have other projects that you're working on, you know, constantly. Um, what is it about that place that you're just kind of like, like, this is it like this is this is it for me? Yeah, um, <clears throat> there's a few things that, that that will make sense to everyone listening. And then there's a few things that that kind of won't, I think. Um First of all, it's proximity. I think that your favorite bar needs to be close by. And until um, relatively recently, I lived two blocks away from Bargoto. Um, now I live a couple of miles away. And in New York City, that's that's a long way. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, so proximity is is part of it. 
Kenta Goto was the head bartender of the Pegu Club for eight years. Um, and now Goto is six years old. I was there last night, by the way. I go there every Sunday. Um, for years and years and years, uh, uh, I would uh, take a photo and hashtag it church, right? Because I went on Sundays. <laughs> and then uh, when I first went back after the pandemic, I realized that the drink I drink there mostly is a Gibson. So now we've rebranded it to Gibbs Sunday. Um, so I go there and have Gibsons. Um, I drink other things too, but we always have at least one Gibson while we're there. And for um, our listeners, what's in a Gibson? A Gibson, of course, is just a, a, a martini, gin martini, uh, that's garnished with um, cocktail onions. And at, at Bargoto, they use uh, Old South onions, which are a pickled onion that you can purchase, which are my favorite. Uh, and then they also, because it's a Japanese bar, they also put on a, and Matt Resler, the, the bartender there who serves me every Sunday, um, I know he gets annoyed with me because I mispronounce it every time. I'm going to mispronounce it now. Reiku, uh, it's a pickled Japanese shallot. Super mm. savory. So there's a pickled onion and a pickled shallot, or sorry, scallion, um, that's in the in the martini. Um, and it's a nice, stiff, bracing, delicious martini. Um, so it's just a palate cleanser, and I'm, I don't know, helps you relax. Um, so I think that the the other things that that make this place fantastic um, is Kenta's style, which is very sort of reserved Japanese, um, but it is still an American bar. Um, but his touches in there, the bar top itself is is. Uh, um, a beautiful soft wood. So that's very inviting to touch the lighting in there. I believe, honestly, it's probably some of the best lighting I've ever seen in a bar, just the way he's done it. Um, the music that they play, they never play it loud, but it's, um, it's music that I love. Like it's like black Sabbath and, you know, Ozzy and, you know, like you're, you're sitting there and you're suddenly like, Oh, is this blue oyster cult? Yeah, it is. But it's not so loud that it interrupts your conversation or whatever you're doing. Um, the team there, Matt's been there since day one and, and most of the team uh, six years in, you know, to, to be, um, to be still on board. Like that, that's a, that speaks volumes to the space itself. Right. Um, so it's just comfortable. It's inviting. It used to be very close to my house. Uh, the drinks are exemplary. They, they go through, um, you know, just dozens of iterations through R and D to get their drinks correct. And then the bar itself has some very, very inventive and delicious snacks, um, that, uh, I think are super unique and, I don't know that it's just, it's got all the right pieces for me, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think that's completely subjective. You know, we, we, in our field and a lot of fields, you know, there's tons of like awards and lists and all this shit. And like, uh, Hey, can we swear on this this podcast? Please do. Okay, great. We we swear on mine too. Sorry. Um, (laughs) So, you know, there's all these things that, that again, they're totally subjective. So how do you, you know, it's all experiential to yourself. So, um, you know, you take my advice or, or, Tell me to fuck off. But like, if you're in New York city and you come to my bar and say, where should I go next? I'm going to say Bargoto. Yeah, no, I, I, again, I mean, it was something that, and now that was actually what you had referenced in the, um, in the interview. It was like, you know, some people call it church. I, I call it, um, the Goto, which I think is, which I thought was just such a rad, um, line. Uh, one of the other things that we were talking about before, um, before we got on and started recording was actually the speakeasy podcast and you know how long you know the the time that you guys have put into that and kind of like the focus of it and stuff and so for you know our listeners that haven't you know picked up on that podcast just yet i mean can you can you tell people a little bit about the speakeasy podcast and why Uh, why you love it so much yeah yeah absolutely we've been on for 11 years we're on heritage radio network which is um uh started 11 years ago so the, the show's been on since the beginning of heritage radio Heritage Radio is uh, founded by Patrick Martins, who is the founder of Heritage Foods, which is part of the slow food movement. Um, the radio station is in the back of Roberta's Pizza, uh, which is a very famous pizza place in, in Brooklyn. 
where we do the recordings, or we did. We haven't been in there since uh, the pandemic began. We've been doing remotes uh, like you guys are doing on Zencaster. Um, and uh, uh, the show's an interview show, just like this one, uh, where we talk to people that we love. Uh, we, we uh, you know, we've been doing it for this long, and we're coming up on 500 episodes soon. And we do it for love. We we don't get paid to do it. It's a non. The radio station itself is a nonprofit. Uh, it's just an opportunity for me to get to sit down with peers, colleagues, uh, people I've never heard of that I want to maybe shine a light on. Uh, um, and then, of course, people that I uh, idolize have all been on the show over the years. And it's 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 one of my favorite things that I get to do. And we do it uh, because we love it. So that I think that's what makes it even better. Yeah. And you guys have had I've uh, seen a lot of fun with it and and a lot of guests uh, on. I mean, over 500 episodes, you're going to have a ton. If there was a point where, you know, if you were kind of like, hey, go listen to episode blank that's gonna sum up this show or maybe like three episodes that you're kind of like that one was so much fun and i think that really (laughs) encapsulates what this show is sure um for sort of poignancy and um you know uh, a real reality check i think uh, a a recent episode we did during the pandemic with joaquin simo who of course uh, owned uh, pouring ribbons until just two weeks ago it finally had to shut its doors for for good um the episode that he was on, he came literally with notes and uh, spreadsheets and revealed to us like what was happening to his business because of the pandemic and the numbers that were involved in the landlord situation. That was a deep episode. And generally, we try and keep them pretty lighthearted. But we we wanted to get stories out during the pandemic that meant something to our industry and, and could shine a light. In fact, we're a weekly show. And during the pandemic, in the very beginning, we were doing three shows a week because we wanted to get people's stories out. So that show with Joaquin, uh, I don't remember episode numbers, but uh, just look up uh, Speakeasy Joaquin Simo and you'll find it. That that show is quite poignant. Um, for, for a more sort of fun show, um, there's two that come to mind immediately. Um, my very good friend Evan Freeman uh, was on. Um, he's uh, uh, self-described as a, 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 a man with a, a bag of axes to grind and no filter. Um, <laughs> so he came on and uh, just sort of spoke his mind freely about a lot of things which he's gotten in hot water for over the years, but he's, he's a, a legend in our field. You know, he's, he's, he's done so much stuff. That's, it's incredible. Um, he's, he's been in, uh, he's, he boasts that he's been in uh, almost every magazine that's possible to be in. And then someone challenged him and said, uh, well, have you ever been in popular mechanics? And so then he built the Kachunker, which is a proprietary device that he created out of a drill press um, and started making drinks with that. And then he got in popular mechanics. So he's like a, a he's like a genius, you know, he's like genius level intelligence. The guy reads like 45 books a year. Um, really smart guy. So that was a great episode. And then I, I'd be remiss if I skipped over um, Giuseppe Gonzalez being on, I think it's the one and only episode we've ever had to go put the parental advisory on because he said the word fuck like 67 times in a, in a 36 minute interview or something. Um, so like the, that's the breadth and depth, you know, we can get, someone on who's going to really dig into the business and talk to us about that. We get someone on who's going to just come on and grind some axes and, and, and do some rants about things that go on in our field. And then, and then a guy who's just going to be hilariously funny and, and bowl us over. So the spectrum that we've been very fortunate to have on is incredible. You know, and then if there's one more I would throw in there, I would say, uh, you know, Damon Bolte's my co-host um, and he's a, a musician and he's in a couple of bands um, and, uh, we invited Dale to draw on and, and Dale brought a guitar. So Damon and, and Dale played guitar together. That was a great moment. You know, like there's that was a super stuff. cool one. I enjoyed yeah, that ton- one a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tons of stuff. Uh, you can go dig around in on the speakeasy. And I kind of always say like to listen to, to go back and listen to the whole compendium is something of a, an education in the history of the sort of cocktail movement, you know, 
Uh, you go all the way back to episodes, literally the, the first episodes when when Death & Co. had just opened and we had like, you know, uh, Thomas Waugh and uh, uh, Brian Miller and, you know, uh, the, the the team from over there. Ari Form has been on numerous times. Like we've got, I don't know, it, it's my favorite thing. Like I said, it's my favorite thing I get to do. And I do feel lucky that I get to do it. Um, again, we don't get paid for it. We love it. We, we do it because we love it. Just like you guys are doing this, I assume. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we're definitely not getting paid. So we're, <laughs> <laughs> we're 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 definitely that. And I think that's I think it's one of the reasons that it resonates with me. And, you know, and as you talk about it, it's just kind of like, like, yeah, man, like that's that's why I get so excited about it. Like, you know, you've also you've also been, you know, guests on a lot of, uh, you know, different people's forums and stuff like that. And one of the ones that we were talking about before was uh, Shift Drink with a mutual friend of ours, uh, Ed Rudisil. Mm-hmm. And there was an episode that you guys did uh, and it was in the beginning part of the pandemic. I mean, it was, I, we were, we were into it. Like we were feeling yeah. the ramifications of it and, and it was a very sobering conversation and it was a, you know, and it was like this commentary on the pandemic that nobody was having at that point. Right. And I just, and I just remember listening to it and um, you know, and obviously Ed's been through the ringer over the past, oh, we all have, but like, he's, you know, really, really wore the brunt of it over the past couple of years. And, um, and one of the things that you guys were, were talking about was just kind of like this blind faith that you had given to the powers that be to take care of everybody. And that just didn't really happen. And then you've had to do all these different transitions. Like you did the reserve bar for a little bit, you know, and, and that, which, which was a really like super dope concept. Like it mm-hmm. was, it was really amazing to kind of, you know, you, you buy this time slot, you come in, you're here, we go nuts for an hour and a half and then get the fuck out, you know, yep. like, like that was that was really cool. I mean, it was you know, obviously built out of strife, but you know, one of the other things that you talked about was just kind of restarting. And at that time, we had no idea how much longer it was going to last. And and obviously, we're still we're still in it, but we're not in it. It's really awkward and stuff like that. But but what has the scene been like in New York? And where do you feel like you you guys are right now? I mean, because one of the things that you point out was, was like, hey, I don't know if I have the energy to restart. And yeah. now that we're kind of coming out of it, like, where do you gauge that energy level and how you're feeling about this industry right now? Yeah, I mean, you know, again, that we did two, I know for sure, during the pandemic, Ed and I are friends. So I've been on his show a couple of times, but we did two during the pandemic, one more close to the beginning and one sort of further in where we talked about these things. And I don't remember maybe which one you're referencing, but uh yeah, we came to the conclusion, of course, that the government does not give two shits about our sector. Um, and then, sadly, I think what we also concluded is that, um, to a large degree, neither does the public. Um, we always sort of consider service a two-way street. Like, I'm here to serve, and you're here to enjoy, and we're that's the that's the sort of collaborative deal. Um, but we found pretty quickly that, um, you know, the, the 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 attention span of the public is pretty brief, uh, and you know, they're as soon as they see that maybe one of their favorite places is, you know shuddering they're like oh my favorite place oh what's this new place you know they're 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 already they're already on to the next thing yeah um you know we were lamenting that the the eater heat map was just the whole fucking city because everything was was opening um and so it was taken away uh, you know because all those things that kind of stalled to open during the pan during the beginning of the pandemic were, were finally getting to open but then so many things were closing so it was hard to get the public's attention to like take care of the things that have been around rather than going to see this new thing I don't know. It's hard because we open new things as well during this. So it's, it's very difficult. It's still difficult. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around, you know, we, my, my company closed four places during the pandemic. Um, but then we've opened four places during the pandemic. Um, I know that Ed has had to close um, a couple shops and 
Um, he's curious if he's going to reopen anything. So I don't know. I, I think that having been in this field my entire life, whether front or back of house, it's all I've ever done. Um, uh, you know, there's a lot of disheartening uh, information that came out of the pandemic or, or that was revealed, I think. And we're still, we're still dealing with it. You know, I still have like, um, Amori Margo existing is some survivor's guilt. You know, I've seen other bars that I know and love that didn't make it. Um, and the fact that we've persevered, um, but, but all the things we had to do to get there, you know, we, we created the reserve bar, we created spritz, which is our, when we did outdoor, um, which we're about to start again, actually for this one last season, uh, where we do, uh, you know, Amaro vermouth and bitters drinks long with seltzer. Um, so they're all kind of spritz cocktails for the, for the winter. We did loggia. We built these cabins outside so people could go inside a little cabin and we made vermouth, Amaro and bitters drinks that were all hot, right? So you're in this little cubby. Uh, personally, I cured and sold salmon. I, I did Fernet Branca cured salmon with the Branca Mentha whipped cream cheese and sold that. I made shoes uh, in collaboration with Vans, my I Heart Bitters uh, uh, Vans that I made. I made a puzzle in collaboration with uh, uh, Jill DeGroff. I, you know, I, I said at a certain point, I'm not pivoting anymore. I'm just pirouetting. I'm like a fucking ballerina just spinning around <laughs> and around. And it's fucking exhausting because I'm not trained for this. You know, right. what I'm yeah, trained it... for is to come in and open my business and do my job every day, which I had done for nearly a decade. You know, the pandemic started three days before our ninth birthday at Amori Margo. So, um I don't know. I, I think I've drifted way off topic of your question, but like it's been a difficult time. And the fact is, it's still difficult. And I still think that we're not completely past it, given that just two weeks ago uh, we saw Pouring Ribbons close its doors for good. I think that treading water for as long as we have um, and finally reaching the shore does not mean survival. Now that we've reached the shore or if we're close to the shore, that means we're going to need some water and some recuperation and some rest. You know, the, the trauma doesn't begin uh, so the trauma doesn't end when we hit the shore. The trauma begins, right? We've, we've gone through this this period of, um, you know, uh, uh, survival. You can survive or you can thrive. You can't do both at the same time. So so now we're still at the end of survival mode before we can get back into thrive mode. Oh, man, yeah. do I feel that so hard. I, I was lucky enough to open up my business in December of 2019. And it's just been survival mode since pretty much day one. Yeah. And, and that absolutely, I mean, the, it, the amount of guilt that I have over not thriving uh, and the inability or not inability, but like the, the constant reminder I have to give myself to like take solace in the fact that I have survived is it's crazy. And there's a lot of, a lot of um, uh, uh, mental jumping jacks I've got to do just to, you know, just to even get to that happy place. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. And I feel it. And, you know, um, the only thing I can say is like people's analogies were were apt, but not quite correct. You know, people said, well, uh, we're all uh, in the same boat. Um, And I said, well, no, we're we're all in the same storm. Right. Some of us have big old boats and some of us are out there in dinghies and some of us just have a life jacket. So you just have to take whatever it is you have and, and, and try and survive the thing as best you can. And if you have maybe that big old boat, you, you reach back and help the guy that's just got a life jacket if you can. Yeah. I, I think the, you know, the pivoting slash pirouetting is, is such a great way to describe it. I know that's how I felt early on where it was just like, okay, I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to start doing that. And you saw that throughout the industry where, you know, it was kind of like, 
a lot of diamonds kind of got made through the process, right? And some things that hopefully you can go. I, and I just, I do want to highlight that, like the puzzle that you did is <laughs> freaking gorgeous. Like I, Thanks. I mean, it's just, it, you know, it's it's a this really, really cool feature, which I know that people can go onto um, like your Instagram and check it out and they can, they can actually order one. But I just, I love that. I love the fact that that was a thing for you. Like that was just, well, that was um, just really cool. You know, you, you find yourself in these situations where you have to, be creative about how you're going to move forward. Um, and I was just literally stuck at home doing the thing that everyone was doing, being depressed and scrolling through Instagram while drinking. And I saw so very many people were like, I'm doing a puzzle and I'm making, you know, sourdough bread. <laughs> um, and I was like, well, I have this gorgeous painting that Jill did of me from years ago. Um, so I reached out to her and said, if I digitize this and turn it into a puzzle, um, can I give you some part of the sales? Can I donate to a charity that you'd like to, uh, can I get you involved in some way? And she said, look, you, you bought the painting and you're out there drowning do do what you want. It's fine. And I said, okay, great. But I'll still put your name and your Instagram handle on the box so that people can find you. Um, so Jill is an angel for that because that, that was kind of paying my rent, you know, selling puzzles. Damn. Um, so the other thing I would say, like, just to throw it in there, I don't want to get, turn this into a whole depressing, uh, a podcast. We should get back to some happy stuff, but, um, you know, I think that <clears throat> one of the parts when I talk about how the public maybe disregarded us, I think that also in a weird way, I'm angry or resentful, at least that the public didn't fully realize how very difficult it was for us to survive by changing all the time. You know, um, the first hundred days of the pandemic, I felt like I was opening a new business every day. Rules were changing. Things were being different. Can we do to go cocktails? Can I let people in? How, you know, do it, you know, all the things just every day, there was a new change. Um, and that, that alone is exhausting. And to think that, you know, so many people out there who had maybe an office job and the thing that they had to change was they had to work from home. You know, um, I had to build an outdoor structure that I never wanted. I had to buy a furniture for outdoor because, you know, a lot of bars and restaurants just move their indoor furniture out. I didn't have any furniture inside. My bar is only 240 square feet. You know, I, I don't, I don't, we, the standing room only, we didn't have seats or stools or anything. So just the sheer lift to stay open was incredible. And then also the mental, as you said, jumping jacks or gymnastics to come up with these ideas and then enact them when you're frankly, you know, at your wits end with exhaustion and, uh, you know, worrying about your rent, I, I, you know, I'm open about it. Like, uh, my, my salary was slashed so hard that I, I couldn't pay my rent. I got evicted during the pandemic, you know, like it's, it wasn't cool. Um, and people are like, man, you did so great. And I'm like, I didn't do great. You're, you're, you know, you're not watching me learn to swim. You're watching me try not to drown. There's a difference. <laughs> right. And that, I think that was one of the things that I, that I, I, I that those conversations that you had with Ed were so eye opening for me because, I was feeling those things, but I didn't want to be the person to say it because like everyone was like, it's like the industry is going to bounce back stronger. We're going to do this. You're like, like, Oh my God, like, no, we're not like, this is, <laughs> this is so much harder. And like one of the, both of you guys gave examples. Ed's example was he's running food in and out to people's cars and people are like, Oh, you're so busy. He's like, no, I have two people working. Like it's yeah. me and my wife. Oh, three and our chef. Like we're the yeah. only people working here right now. And then you were talking about, um, people making comments to you with like to go cocktails and how you really wanted to tell them how you felt, but you can't because we're in hospitality and that's right. just not something. I mean, I don't know if you feel differently now where you're, you know, you're like, no, no, no I'm going to tell you, but I, it's just, you know, it was tough. 
Yeah, because we deal in the world of hospitality, we think that we understand that even when someone asks you how the sausage is made, they don't really want to know how the sausage is made. <laughs> right. They're just being polite or, you know, uh, um, congenial or whatever the word you want to tack to that is. Um, but, you know, people would, would come in all the time and, and come in. This is before that we were letting them in. I, I built a bar in front of the door and you could just only come to the door and I would serve you through the door. Um but I would be wearing, you know, gloves and a mask and I'd have hand sanitizer there for them and for me. And, you know, all they can see are my eyes, which is where you can see into someone's soul. Right. Mm -hmm. And they would ask me questions like, well, how's it going? looks like you're busy. And I'd be like, can you not see that all that's in my <laughs> eyes is panic and fear? Like, and then I'd right. have to say like, we're doing okay. You know, here's your bag of cocktails. Get the fuck away. You yeah. know? Um, yeah. So like, I don't think anyone was trying to be insensitive because um, that's just the way we're conditioned to speak to and approach one another um, with, you know, cordialities and, and you know, politeness. But, uh, but man, it really hurt. You know, it hurt a lot. Um, it, it, it continues, frankly, to hurt when people come in and say things like, uh, I don't know, <clears throat> oh, what happened to Maury Margot Brooklyn? I'm like, well, I had to close it. <laughs> you know, the pandemic took it away from me. It was only four months old. It didn't have enough strength to be open uh, to, you know, the, my landlord was unbudgeable. Like it just didn't make it. Um, and like, I know that they're trying to be nice, but it's basically, uh, it's, it's often, I, I liken it to being like asked over and over and over again. Hey, I know you just went through a terrible, terrible trauma. You mind explaining it to me again in detail, right? Yeah. Like, it's just like, I have to relive it over and over. And it's, it's not, it's not once a day. It's 10 times a day still. Right. You know, how well, are you I guys think... doing after the pandemic? I'm like, well, first of all, it's not over. <laughs> right. Know, we're on the tail end of this comet, but it's still here. Yeah. Anyway, I feel like we're getting too deep down this hole. Let's let's get on some positive stuff. <laughs> well, no, I just I, I think that I, I do think it's important think it's to talk important. about. I do, too. Yeah. I really do. And, I, and I'm vocal about that kind of stuff. You know, I, I battled uh, um, with anxiety and depression my whole life. I started therapy when I was like 13 years old and I went on to some drugs back when I was in junior high and high school and have been on and off them all my life. And I'm very open about that. And, and I think that, um, it's good. People come to me and they're like, thanks for saying that, you know, I'm in that same boat. And I feel like, you know, you're a person who's, you know, kind of made it in this field and to know that you're out there helps me. And I'm like, I get it. So I'm helping. Uh, and I feel like talking about this stuff also helps people because they're going through it too. I can see it in your faces as we're talking about this stuff. Like, I know you've gone through it too. Um, so I see the value in it, but also I can't, we can't dwell on it for, for too much. You know, we have to keep moving forward. The only way through right. if you're going through hell, just keep going. Yeah. Okay. So I, so I'm going to shift it up before we get into our top stories. Cool. Okay. And, um, to bring it back, but, and I know you've been asked this before, but I just, I just find this little tidbit about your life. So fascinating. How does one write a book in their notes app on their iPhone? Sure. Um, I, it's a pretty easy answer. And you, you said at the top of the show that I wrote one. No, both of my books I wrote on here. In fact, I'll go even <laughs> further and tell you that, um, you know, pre-pandemic, I owned five bars. Um, I had written two books. Uh, I have a weekly radio show and podcasts um, and, and any other myriad of things that I do, including uh, being judged for Tales of the Cocktail and uh, do some judging for Diageo World Class and things like that. Uh, this this is my only computer. Um, the computer that I'm talking to you on right now, I borrowed. <laughs> <laughs> How do you do? So you run everything through your phone then for your show? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, oh, that is wild. Yeah. So, but as far as the book goes, imagine for one second, if I just told you that, that my phone is my only computing device, 
how fast of a typist do you think I am on a full-size keyboard versus just using my two thumbs? Like on a full-size keyboard, I'm a hunt and peck typist. Uh, I was about my... to say, I was, I was like, you can't be, you're not, there's no way you're well-versed in it. So it's exactly. got to be just so painful. On the phone, I'm like quick thumbs, right? But on the computer, <laughs> I'm like, so that's how I wrote my book. <laughs> oh my God. So now as, as you're, as you're writing the book and I, and I do want to, I do want to emphasize the Christmas cocktail book because, yeah. cause I just, I, when you look at it, you just kind of you get like those holiday album vibes from it yeah, where it cute, was right? where, where it was kind of like as I was like okay like you know it's like all right Harry Connick like you've done this album you've done this album now it's time to put out your Christmas album sure. and that's kind of like what it felt like and I mean when you were developing this thing because you know because typically you're you know we're used to seeing like oh holiday drinks on whatever fucking website decides to put them out that that month right but like you went above and beyond and put out this book of like good cocktails. Like what was, what was like the, the process yeah. or, or who, who came to you and was like, you know what we need? We need a Christmas cocktail book. My, my editor. I mean, you know, your editor, I, you learn something really fast when you write a book, which is um, every book that you open, every book that you've ever seen uh, somewhere in there, the author thanks his editor. There's a fucking reason. Um, that guy really is the backbone of getting the shit done. Um, yeah. That guy or girl. Um, so my editor came to me and he said, Hey, you know, you're going to, I was planning to do the holiday market, uh, in Union Square, um, uh, which is a, a pop-up market that happens every year in New York city. Um, it stays there for the whole holiday season. Um, you have to pay a pretty penny to get in there, but, uh, they had a booth, the smallest booth they had. Um, and I just wanted to go in there and sell my books and some bitters and a few other odds and ends. And it was a really fun time. It wasn't very successful, but it was really fun, um, to be out there all holiday season. <clears throat> uh, but I was planning to do that. And he was like, and you got to plan that shit way in advance because those booths go fast. Um, and he was like, what if we did a pocket-sized, uh, stocking stuffer-sized um, book that was all just holiday? And I was like, I love it. Let's get it done. So he was like, tell me Christmas movies that you like or holiday films that you like. And let's go through them and pick out pull quotes. And we'll just lace the book with funny lines from Christmas movies. And we'll make holiday cocktails. And it'll be the perfect size to fit in a stocking and reasonably priced. So people will pick it up. And... And he goes, and the great thing about this is a paperback. And he goes, the great thing about this is we can trot it out every year. And he said, Mariah Carey. He said, like Mariah Carey's song that comes out every year. <laughs> so we do. Um, right under my desk here is probably four cases of the damn thing that we didn't fly through this season. But they'll sit here till next season and I'll trot it out again. Um, so it's great. I, I love it. Uh, and it's been well received. And, um, you know, the, the cheeky title, Let's Get Blitzen. Um, you know, it's uh, and our hashtag for that is uh, Happy uh, Alcoholidays. Um, you know, so it was just a lot of fun. Uh, and we did it, you know, somewhat quickly that, that book didn't take us, uh, I don't know, about four months to get done, um, wow. from, from design to, to, to copy to the whole thing. I mean, it has no photos in it. That really sped things up to be honest. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. And it, I mean, again, I think it, if, if you don't have it on your, on your bar, get it for, for the next holiday season, get it now, get it for Christmas and, you know, do a Christmas in July. Let's do Treat it yourself. Yeah, man, you can get it on my, uh, go to my Instagram for everything. And, and, uh, my, my link tree has a link directly to me where I will sign books and mail them out of my house. There you go. Yeah. Um, all right. Creative drunk. So now, now it's time for our opinion on facts that we've heard from reputable sources. Okay, so the first story we're actually going to cover is um, about the Dead Rabbit founders. Uh, Sean Muldoon and Jack McGarry are parting ways. 
Uh, Dead are. Rabbit is a is a really uh, influential bar in New York, and they've put out multiple books. And um, the team is breaking up. McGarry is going to stick with Rabbit, and he's going to be opening up locations across the United States. He's looking at uh, right now six total locations. Uh, New Orleans was just announced officially last week, and then they're also planning on putting one in Austin. Uh, Muldoon and his uh, beverage director, Jillian Vos, are going to go to Charleston and yep. open up a bar, which I think is really cool. Uh, it's going to be called Hazel and Apple. Um, their relationship is going to remain intact Uh Muldoon will still have a silent partnership in Dead Rabbit, and then Rabbit will also have an ownership part of Hazel and Apple, but they're just going to be doing different things. Um, you know, this is a bar that was named one of the best in the world, and that was actually a promise that they made when they initially opened in 2013, which I think is really cool. Um, and this yeah, is going to a- be a way for these guys to kind of go in different directions and pursue things that they're both interested in where um, – you know, just just experimenting with different concepts and and things of that nature, and obviously different cities. So, so Souther, you're you're in New York as well. Uh, you're obviously very familiar with these guys. Um, you know, when when you heard this news and just kind of knowing what everybody has gone through over the last couple of years, I mean, what was your initial reaction to hear about this quote unquote breakup? I think, oh well, initial reaction was I think uh, I thought yeah, I could, we could see it coming. Here in New York, we're close to it. We 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 understand what was going on with Jack and Sean and sort of their um, divergence of opinions on how to own and operate a business. Um, I don't know them, you know, well enough to speak too deeply, but they've been on my show and Jillian. I've known I think since she moved to New York. To be honest, um, way back when she was, uh, you know, hanging out at Maison Premier, which was just a few blocks from the bar that I operated. Um, so uh, I don't think it was a big shock. Uh, you know, Jack is definitely the more motivated of the two, you know, kind of uh, more, more hair to, to, to Sean's, you know, tortoise. And I think Sean is just more happy to look forward to having one, maybe two places in the same city that he can operate and oversee and be a part of. Whereas Jack's a little bit more motivated to have, you know, multiple venues in multiple cities to grow, you know, a larger empire. And I think, um, I think Jillian chose the, the the other path as well because I think she um, really enjoys being on the bar. And, you know, I think like, you know, my time as a chef taught me that chefs are very easy to have multiple restaurants all over the all over the city, all over the country, all over the world. Um, because when you're at the table, you assume the chef is back there cooking your dish, whether he's in town or not. But when mm. you're at the bar, the bartender is either your bartender or they're not. <laughs> you can see them. Um, so right. I think Jillian probably has that sensibility inside of her that she wants to be on a bar that that people can recognize her and see her or, or be, be part of a bar that, that she's at all the time. So I think it's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't seem shocking at all. Um, and also uh, I don't think anyone has any doubts whatsoever that both will be very, very successful. Um, you know, you, you said uh, in your opener there about how um, when they opened the dead rabbit, they called out that we're going to be the best bar in the world. They, 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 they roofed it, you know, they pointed over the fence and they, they, they achieved that home run. Um, in the same year, right? 50 best bars and tales of the cocktail in the same right. year rated them best bar in the world. So, um, like these guys are fiercely, uh, um, you know, driven. And I think that that's going to show in both of their works. It's just two different styles. And I think that that just changed over the years. You know, I think they went into the first one together with the same style, with the same drive and the same goal. Um, and now their styles have drifted apart because time changes a person. And I think uh, then their goals changes as well. So 
I don't know. I think it's going to be great either way. Charleston, Charleston, Charleston is winning this deal. Yeah, I, I think that really stuck out to me is, you know, that's a place I've always wanted to visit. And I'm kind of like, I'm like, OK, I think my I think my instincts were right. Like it's a place I need to go to if, you know, big hitters like that are heading down to open up a bar. Um, Chris, for you, you well, know, you know, you're you're about to open up another concept right now. Um, when you read this story, like did anything kind of resonate with you? Like, hey, I want to do this other thing because you're not opening up another good bottle. Like now you're doing like a restaurant cafe kind of thing like what when you read this what were some of your reactions because obviously dead rabbit has a huge influence on sacramento as well just in terms of its cocktail books and things like that so i just want to get your thoughts uh yeah they um honestly one of one of the the biggest shames for me of i believe pandemic or maybe it was just before pandemic was the closing of blacktail um that just a beautiful beautiful bar and and a bar that I was loud and proud in saying that um, I would hop on a plane uh, just to go back to that bar, which I, you know, normally, you know, you're in this industry long enough, you've traveled enough, you've seen enough things. A, a lot of places tend to sort of blend together and you're like, yeah, that was cool. I'll take like a little bit of this bar and a little bit of that restaurant. And that was fun, you know, on to the next one. Uh, and so there's very few places that I would happily just hop on an airplane if I could afford it and just go just to experience that again. And uh, Blacktail was one of those. And so I was very sad when, when that closed. And um, uh, I am very um, open about saying that uh, Blacktail is a huge inspiration for Bodega that's that's opening here. Um, I just, I loved everything about it. The aesthetic, the cocktails, the music, the, the, the cocktail book itself, which is sitting at my current bar now because it's being used as, a, as an inspiration, um, sort of everything. Uh, yeah, I, I think I've been following Jack and Sean since they were uh, they were at the Merchant. Their their cocktail menu at the Merchant was just it was groundbreaking. It was fantastic. It was beautiful. I think I still have a copy of it uh, on my computer somewhere. Yeah, I would say that the, the one of the one of the one of the things that brought down Blacktail, which was pre pandemic, it closed before the pandemic. Um, I think what you just said is part of it. You said I would jump on a plane and fly over there. Even though it's here in New York City, it was located in such a difficult place to get to. It was a destination and nothing else around it. So no easy access to trains or public transit. Uh, you know, you had to take a car or an Uber or a yellow cab to get there. Um, I think that's that's easily its downfall um, uh, because it was everything you just said. It was a, it was fantastic. It was a great bar with, with a great decor, amazing service you know, just so gorgeously laid out. I think it's main, you know, we, we all hear it all the time and we all don't want to believe it, but location, 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 that, that stuff matters. So Suther with, with these guys expanding and you kind of like, you kind of see these two different routes that these guys are going, right? So one is going to open up a new city, completely different concept. The other one is taking a proven concept, but going to a brand new city to implement it there. In your experience and based off, I guess, you know, just like so far, because like you said, you've, you've had other locations and things like that. Like what sounds more appealing to you at this point in your career to go with a brand new concept or take a proven concept and go to a new city? Man, I am torn right down the middle. Um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, we're opening, my company is called Overthrow Hospitality and we're opening two new locations. First time ever outside of New York. Um, so we have 10 total venues in the East Village alone, just right in the East Village, all within five blocks of one another. 
Um, and then now we're going to open two more in two different cities, Boulder and LA. Um, and yeah, Boulder. Um, I mean, that's yeah. amazing. Boulder, that's, Colorado that's, and Los yeah. Angeles. Yeah. And those two are one of our concepts that we're repeating, which we've never done before. Uh, well, not true. We opened a second Amori Margo, but it only lasted four months because the pandemic swallowed it. Um, but uh, so there's a part of me that's like, well, we have this concept. We know that it works. Let's take it to these cities and and show them what we can do. And hopefully that'll maybe drive them to say like, oh, man, I can't make it all the way to New York. I can go to this one here in my town. And then when they come to New York, they can go to our other spots or whatever. But there's also a big part of me that says like, man, what, would I love to open another Amori Margo in San Francisco or Chicago, two towns that we know have a relationship with bitter, right? Like Chicago drinks plenty of Malort. And of course, San Francisco drinks plenty of Fernet. There's a part of me that says, yeah. Uh, but there's also this other part of me that's like, man, Amori Margo is so difficult. <laughs> it is yeah. not an easy bar. You know, it is an explanation to everyone who comes in the door. Um, it's not just like, hey, welcome. What do you have? It's like, hey, welcome. Here's this weird thing we do. And you're going to probably not like it at first, but, you know, stick with us and maybe you'll like it. Like every conversation or rather every interaction is a lengthy conversation. So do I want to do that again? I don't know. There's a part of me that just wants to open like, you know, beer in a shot bar with a TV in the corner that puts on sports. Right. So now with these new concepts, are you going to be spending time in either Boulder or LA to get them going or like what, how, what's your role in these? Yeah, both. I'm the beverage director for the whole company. So I'll be spending time in both of them more probably Boulder than LA because LA is just a beer and wine license, which we still do cocktails. We have a couple of venues here in New York that are just beer and wine. We do cocktails there as well. But those are a little easier lift to get off the ground because um, the menus are typically much smaller. It's beer and wine, uh, and so generally people order beer and wine. Um, so the cocktail lists are, are much smaller, much more easy to maintain. The one we're opening in Boulder is a full liquor license, and it's got a, a, a the venue itself, 125 seats, and 30 of them are at the bar. The bar is really long. Um, so a much more complicated list there, so I'll probably be spending more time there. And then, so I, I think that for whatever reason I've caught on to just a lot of bars in Colorado uh, via like their Instagram and a couple friends that have gone out there uh, and there, and there's, you know, whether it's in Breckenridge or Colorado Springs or of course Denver and now Boulder, but it's like from a, from the company perspective, and I don't know how much insight you can give us. And, you know, this is a little bit more of the sausage for us, maybe as opposed to the public. But, you know, when you see a market like Boulder, like what is the thing you're kind of like, that's the spot, like that's where we need to go. You know, Boulder was an odd one for us. Um, <clears throat> my partner, Ravi uh, Garasi, he grew up in Boulder uh, oh, from the okay. time he was eight um, until he left there. And, you know, as a, he went off to college and whatnot, but his parents still live there. Um, and this, guy who owns a building and in that building is a restaurant reached out to Ravi because he found out that Ravi is from there and that Ravi has these locations in, in New York. Um, and he reached out to us cold and just said, Hey, I've got this building. It's got a restaurant space in it. Would you like it? And Ravi was like, Oh, an opportunity to go home basically. So that one was kind of like a, no demographic run. No, we didn't look into it too hard. We just, it's kind of like hometown kid does well, you know, kind of thing. So that's just a return to home. Um, LA, weirdly similar, we were reached out to as well. Um, but then of course we did run some numbers and take a look at what was going on and the concept that we might want to put out there. Um, and like LA, I think is a hotter city, right? There's, it's kind of a no brainer. If you want to open a bar or restaurant, LA comes to your mind 
right away if you're just looking at the United States as a whole. Boulder, I think, you know, the choice would have probably been Denver if we made the, if we chose it, right? Right. Um, because our sister, you know, Ravi's, Ravi's a, a partner at Gin and Luck, which owns Death and Company. So Death and mm-hmm. Company has a bar in, in Denver. Um, so we, we might have chosen that. But but again, this is more of a restaurant than a bar. We You know, the, the 10 things that we own, most of them are restaurants. Um, we have a Mori Margo, Cafe de L'Enfer, and Ateria, which are more bars. But the rest of them are all restaurants. So this is a restaurant concept. So we think it'll do well. Um, we wouldn't have said yes if we didn't think it would do well. Um, but but we didn't. We kind of didn't choose Boulder. It shows us. <laughs> I, I love that. I think that's I think that's awesome. I, I think, you know, that's just going to be an extension of, you know, what the guys with with Rabbit are doing. Right. Is that, you know, they're talented. They're going to take these concepts. And, you know, even if it's not exactly the same, like the case with Hazel and Apple, it's like, it's like, no, they're talented. Like these things are going to work in these places. And it's going to be really exciting to see, um, you know, just the, you know, towns that you don't initially associate with craft cocktails or, you know, with higher end things kind of be like, Oh yeah, no Boulder has this great spot or, you know, Charleston has these, you know, slew of different options. Like, I think that's just really awesome as this world becomes smaller and you, and you start to hear about like all these different influences and people just doing really cool things in places that you don't initially think, you know, top restaurants, top cocktail bars and things like that. I think it's well, really sure. You've got so many like folks that are running off to all these towns, you know, uh, uh, so much stuff's going on in Nashville right now. Charleston, I think is already had a foothold. There's some great bars there. Uh, Proof on King, which is on the same street that uh, the new Hazel Apple is going to be on is a great bar uh, run by a great guy named Nelson. Um, there's uh, TJ Lynch went down there and opened up his bar, which is the name is escaping me right now, but he's of course, mother's ruin here in New York and mother's ruin in Chicago. Um, so like, I think, and then of course, I don't think everybody knows this, but Dale, Dale DeGroff and Jill DeGroff, they have a, they have a home in Charleston. They, they stay there all the time. So like, there's some draw. It's also just a gorgeous town. Um, right. Uh, for seven years in a row, it was rated, uh, nicest city in America. Um, it's, uh, um, uh, it's got, uh, more churches per capita than any city in America. So it's, it's also called, uh, the Holy city in America. <laughs> um, <laughs> Like, you know, it's beautiful. I think that Charleston looks like uh, uh, if New Orleans and Savannah, Georgia had a baby, it'd be Charleston, you know? Yeah. So, like, there's plenty. And then the weather. The weather's great, you know? Like, way better weather than New York City. Seems seems ripe for the picking. Yeah. No, it sounds like it's going to be super dope and just... A growing a growing city. We we gotta go, Chris. We gotta go to Charleston. Put that on the list. Yeah, I I'm down. I mean, any traveling is something I'm good for. Uh I, I think one of the points it's necessary for people to understand is that there's always this is definitely a like a mantra i've I've taken on um over over the last decade or so but there's always there's always room for uh quality and honesty right like there's always going to be a a hunger slash thirst for that um so as long as you're being honest and delivering uh, a heartfelt product i believe that there's there's no matter where you go you know, you can go go into the middle of nowhere, Idaho, and there's still someone's going to be really amped to uh, to be able to um, partake in that experience. Yo. Okay, so our next story that we're going to cover <laughs> has to do with Miller Lite and their desire to make our beer drinking experience more Miller time. Um, Miller Lite <laughs> is launching beer drops. Um, they are enhancement drops for establishments that don't have Miller Lite on tap. Um, 
Miller Lite prides itself on being a light beer that embraces the taste of beer and hasn't sold out like some of those other ones, according to Sophia Colucci, who is their global vice president of brand of marketing brands. Um, this is basically like you'll go out and you have um, like it was like little water flavor drops. It, they yeah. basically look exactly like that. And you'll be able to take an insufficient light beer and turn it into a Miller light. Now there's no alcohol in these things, but it does have the flavor profile. So, um, so Southern, I'm going to start with you. Are yeah. you ready <laughs> to take your light beer experience to, from, um, an okay time to Miller time? To Miller time. Uh, listen, we all know that Miller light, uh, tastes great and is less filling. Um, or at least we do from my childhood. And you remember the commercial with, uh, uh, all we need is one pin, Rodney. Right? They're bowling. Anyway, uh, that's um, I'm much older than, than your audience, probably. Um, listen, this sounds at first when you sent me this article, I was like, "This is a, these guys have been rope a dope." This is an April Fool's joke, but uh, it's not. Um, and I tried to look into it further, and nowhere can I find what this dr- these drops taste like. Nowhere describes the flavor. But it's then Miller my, Time. That's what it tastes like. It tastes well, like Miller Time. <laughs> right. <laughs> Is that a, is there a watch that I can lick to get this flavor? Um, so and then the second thing I don't understand is how, how pale, weak and pallid does your, does the beer in your hand have to be as a light beer already that some drops that'll make your beer taste like a different light beer will work. It, like the, the math doesn't even add up to me. Like, I don't understand. I mean, it's got to be it's got to be like malt extract or something like that, right? Like, it's got to be nowhere something... does it say. So I don't know what this is. Like I said, is this just uh, I don't know. Are we, you know, is this a extract of the jumpsuits that the guys on the brewing line, you know, wear? You know, <laughs> it's squeeze out, squeeze out. Their <laughs> I, I mean, I definitely like like Seth. I'm, I'm glad that you picked up on the same thing as I did, because I, I also thought it was an April Fool's joke. But then it actually points out in the article. This is not an April. Yeah, Fool's the, joke. the article mentions it, which also then makes it suspect to be an April Fool's joke. But it right, came out right. on the sixth. Right. Yeah. So it's it's late. Yeah. And it was released on National Beer Day because they wanted to make sure they captured the, the right audience. I think, you know, a lot of my takeaway from this was kind of being like, it's like, man, just like the gusto that Sophia has when she talks about Miller light, you know, as kind of like this at one point she mentions how other beers have diluted what they're all about. I'm kind of like, I'm like, good Lord, are we talking about the same thing? Beer is a diluted version of your own damn beer. (laughs) (laughs) It was just, it was so silly. And you kind of, you almost want to be like, you know, shouldn't your marketing dollars be going into getting Miller light on tap? I mean, like if you're, if you're a Miller light drinker and there's nothing wrong with that, no, but not at all. If, if you're a Miller Lite drinker, I mean, are you so dedicated to your brand that you're going to a bar that doesn't have it, first of all, but then also to be like, okay, you know, you do like your check out, you out the door. It's like, okay, wallet, keys, phone drops. Good. I can drink anywhere today. You know, is <laughs> yeah. that like, is that like a process that, that now has to happen? And then. I mean, I don't know what your guys. So I've, I, of course, have not had had have had these. Like they, they sold out immediately because they sold of what out. I and two, two runs of them. Two yeah, runs. Yeah, I looked sold that out. Up I too. went two to go runs. check to see if. And and I want to know. I want to know how big these runs were. Also, like, was it yeah. just like ten, 100 10 bottles? Of them? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right, right. Ten bottles. But it's just like I mean, like I so, haven't seen. I kind of tried to look for it on Instagram. Like I haven't seen anybody posting photos of them dropping. You know, or d- using it. You know. 
yeah, influence us to go buy it ourselves. Um, but so, so Chris, have you ever had any of like the flavor additives yeah, sure. for, for waters and stuff? Yeah, yeah, what is, yeah. What's so, so my impression of those is that that for everyone that I've had so far, and again, my or my experience is not, I, I'm not a drop aficionado by any means, but. I did it like a couple of times. I was like, I was like, this sucks. Like, I don't want to do this. I mean, what is it? Do do you have a different opinion of maybe, Hey, maybe builders onto something here. No, absolutely not. I think that this is a terrible idea. I, I, I think it's funny and uh, it got us talking about it and talking about Miller light, which we probably never would have done on this show uh, with uh, any good sense in us. What, what happens if you put it, put Miller time into already a Miller light? Like does does it break the space time continuum? Uh, yeah, it's super you Miller wake, time. You, you wake up in the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think I think the the next the next question would be like, okay, so where does you know for this product to me, it's like where does this end up in the budget for Miller, right? And to me, it has to be marketing, right? Like this is an innovation product. This isn't this isn't a new lineup. It's kind of like, like oh, that was all marketing dollars that went to create this. Right. I mean, on their website, it's under, it's under the merch category, so it's definitely just marketing, right? Oh, I yeah. got my shirt, I got my hat, I got a hoodie, I got my drops, good to go. Next thing they're going to make is a, a is a, a pocket that holds the the drops, you know? Like they're going to have a shirt oh. that has a pocket just for the drops, right like size. A pocket right saver? Yeah, or whatever, or, or even maybe on the hat, it'll have a pocket for the fucking drops. I think, uh, for me, it's just like, again, I don't want to just tear them down and poke fun at them if they're, if they're out there having fun great uh, go for it but at the same time like this seems to me like if i was to say i don't know pick a vodka brand and say oh you're out having vodka and it's not our brand so here's some drops to make it taste like our brand uh you're already dealing with something that kind of has no flavor how are yeah. you, you know, how are you taking a light beer and putting drops from a different light beer in it and making it taste like your light beer instead of their light beer you know it's like if you added it to soda water, like would it still end up tasting like is it did you make an NA beer now? You know? Yeah. I, I don't know. Sadly, this conversation would be much better if we could get a hold of some, but we can't. No, they yeah. sold out. They, they it is clearly a brilliant idea that uh we don't well, know. Well there'll be there'll be a follow-up that we do because I'm because I do want to stay on this and I do really want to try it. And when eventually I do get my hands on some, like we'll, we'll send it out to you. Maybe we'll do like an Instagram live of yeah, us. Absolutely. Well, let's put a plea so out to I, your... was, I was trying to find the back of the bottle too. Like I, like yeah. this, it looks Seems like uh, the, the bottle itself looks like a bottle. Right. But then it also kind of looks like a tap handle. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's the same, like sort of imagery, but I really want to see what's on the back. Like what's the, <laughs> what's the, uh, the nutritional facts about this. If yeah, it's not alcoholic. It is non alcoholic. Um, I think we can find this. We can put a plea, we can put make a plea this out right now to your listeners yeah. and say, Hey, if anyone has some of this, send me a sample so I can give it a, yeah, we need, give it a we fair, need fair and present review, you know? Yeah, we want to give Miller Lite its its day in the sun. You know, I think it deserves <laughs> it. It's been around since 1975. It's never compromised its dedication to making beer taste like beer. So I think it's time that we get some Miller Lite drops and do, and do an official review. Who do we know that drinks Miller Lite? Like if I'm out and about with my, you know, bartending nerd ass friends, if they're having a Miller, it's the high life. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. So that, let, let me, let me shift this conversation a little bit and then we'll, we'll answer this and then we're going to go on to our don't follows. But Chris, if you could have a, 
drop form of any type of drink to drop into something to fix it, what is that magic elixir? So is it, it already, like a like, like it already exists? It's Angostura bitters. <laughs> I was sitting here boiling that you weren't asking me. Yeah. Well, I was going to come to bitters. you next. I was going to come to <laughs> you next. Bitters exist. Yeah. So that's it. Well, I mean, it was like more so like in the sense of not necessarily fix it, but kind of be like, hey, this needs to taste like. So if there's like a drink out there that you're kind of like, you're like, oh, this is this is my Gibson drop. I'm going to drop this in. It's going to fix this drink. It's going to taste like <laughs> it's going to go into my daiquiri. And then all of yeah. a sudden my daiquiri is going to taste like a Gibson. Yeah, I don't know. Does that does that exist? Is there something that you kind of be like, man, it'd be nice to have, you know, that's not bitters. This magic elixir, you know. I don't think that either exists or needs to exist. And even <laughs> if we had the technology to do it, we'd have to go with the with the adage like just because we can doesn't mean we should. Right. You like know? no one stopped to ask if this was a good idea. We have, we have all Jurassic Park situation on our hands. Right. I don't think that this would be uh beneficial to us in any way to be able to say I'm gonna make any drink taste like the drink that comes out of this drop. Okay. Well, then we'll leave it at that. Listeners, help us find some Miller Lite drops if they actually do, in fact, exist. Because maybe they don't even exist. Maybe this is just yeah, we've been the duped. most elaborate marketing thing that nobody actually follows up on. Because you have to assume like somebody's recording themselves doing this, like that, and they yeah. put it on social media somewhere. So, but we'll find it. We'll, we'll we're gonna we're gonna get these drops. You know who's dope? Them over there. Okay, so now it's time for my favorite part of the show, and this is where we give you. Dope follows. These could be Instagram accounts, other podcasts, books, movies, whatever, whatever our guest and we think is super dope and that you should check out right now. So, Souther, I want to start with you. Okay. Who's your dope follow this week? Well, it's an OnlyFans account that I've been following since the beginning of OnlyFans. <laughs> okay. Uh oh wait, no, that's we're on the wrong show. Sorry. Um <laughs> you know, one of my a person who's become a good friend of mine over the years, um, and he has a great Instagram account for you to follow, but he also just started a Substack account, um, which uh, there's a there's a free half and a firewall or paywall half that you can pay for as well. Um, but it's Robert Simonson. Robert Simonson's been the spirits writer for the New York Times. That's the local paper here in New York um, for, uh, you know, I think coming up on like 16 years now. He's written several books. Uh, um, one of my favorites he wrote is called A Proper Drink. Um, it's the history of um, sort of the cocktail revolution as we know it, and it's fucking great. Although I do point out to him on the exact page where I think that, oh, right about here is where you should have talked about Amori Margo. Um, <laughs> um, uh, we're, we're neighbors. He lives uh, not that far from me here in New York. He hangs out in my backyard for barbecues during the summer. He's a great guy all around. And he's got a Substack, and it's. I think uh, I don't know how to use Substack very well, but I'm a subscriber, so it comes to my email, and I go check it out on my phone. Um, and I downloaded the Substack app, so I can start looking at it there too. Um, but I, I highly recommend it. Uh, first of all, his Instagram account I would follow too because he's not uh, unidimensional. Um, he was a, a, a writer for. Um, he he was a, a writer and critic for plays um, for a long time before he switched over to food and drink, and then then specifically to cocktails for the New York times. So he still goes to lots of plays and he posts about that kind of stuff. He is a incredible hot dog enthusiast and literally travels the country to eat hot dogs. So he has a lot of hot dog footage. How did we uh, not know this? Hot, yeah. yeah that, hot, hot dog that. stuff in his, his stories are great because he also is quite political. So he very you know, political every yep. day in his stories is, is stuff that you should know about politics that's going on all around you that you should be aware of. 
and hot dogs and plays. And he takes long walks through Brooklyn all the time and just posts photos of that. So his Instagram is just fun to follow because of that kind of stuff. Uh, but then his Substack is um, basically, as he puts it, you know, I get told what to write for the New York Times and, and I'm, I'm good at it. And I, I get a lot of accolades and, and a lot of people enjoy that. He goes, but on my Substack, I get to write about what I want. So, um, you know, he wrote a big, long thing about uh, uh, the grasshopper. Um, coming back as sort of a revival. And then strangely, I think if I'm not incorrect, that got picked up by the times. So then the times wrote about it. He wrote about it for the times as well. So it's starting to feed itself. You know what I mean? But it's yeah. brand new. He's only been doing it for a few months and it's fucking great. You should go follow Robert Simpson on his Instagram and his Substack. I agree. Yeah. When we had him on a couple of weeks ago. Oh, he was yeah, on your was, show. I was yeah. about to say you should have him on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was, he was, he was on the show. He was, he was awesome. Uh, he talked about the Substack. I, I subscribed to it and. Well, shit, I uh, should pick somebody else then. Fuck that guy. Uh, <laughs> um, he picked somebody else real fast. No, <laughs> yeah, no, no, I really he, thought about this. <laughs> he was he was great, and he also did the forward for your book, right? Uh, yeah, he did. Um, he's a great guy and a very good friend. Yeah, and I do, and, and it was, and actually, his Instagram was something that I did bring up during our during our episode because I just was like, I was like, like, dude, I don't get FOMO. I just don't. Like, you know, people off doing their thing, whatever it is, what it is. His is the only account that gives me FOMO because it just feel like he's into so many different things. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, man, I wish I was with him right now, like having a drink somewhere and then getting some insight into how he goes about his process and how he'll send his wife in first to really kind of gauge a new place, which I just thought was so great. And, um, you know, because obviously he people know are aware of him in, in yeah. a lot of circles. So um, I think that's great. And I love, I love when our show, like when people recommend former guests, it just, it makes me feel like I'm, we're on to the right thing. You know, it's just kind of like, okay, they also thought they were rad. So that was cool that we had them on the show previously, or, or they're going to be on the show in the future and things like that. So right. that's also just very validating. So good choice. Really, really don't well, follow. Can I throw in two small ones then really quickly? Of course, yeah. Since you know, I didn't realize he'd already been on. So yeah. I would also follow Telltale Vintage, right? T E L L T A I L Vintage. That's Charles Jolie, who you might know from his uh, win of World Class back in twenty, I want to say sixteen, maybe fifteen. Anyway, as a hobbyist, uh, he looks for um, vintage barware mostly. Uh, he collects antiques in general, but mostly vintage barware and stuff like that. And so he sells it on his Instagram. Every Sunday, he posts six or eight different things for sale. Uh, and you can go pick some stuff up from him. And um, the thing that makes it kind of cool is, A, that it's all mostly bar stuff. So it's very cool stuff. And I bought many items from him because we, when we opened up Reserve, we had all these sh little, little cubby shelves we built. So I put in antiques up there for people to look at. Um, and then uh, because he's such a, um, an animal enthusiast, he tell tale, right? So it's cocktail or the tale of an animal. Uh, every month he posts up at the end of the month the the different animal charities that he's donated the money that he's made throughout that month. So that's, that's awesome. just cool. oh, that's so cool. Yeah. That's great. Awesome. So there's that that's just fun, and it, you get to you know sort of sort of sort of be looking at stuff that's within our realm and our our, our sector, but but not but more as hobby. And then uh, one that's a little bit more political. I love fuck you. I quit. Yep. Uh, on Instagram, <laughs> that was that was Robert's recommendation. Oh, that was shit. just don't follow. <laughs> Right, it's so good it's so good it, uh, it's it's definitely there's there's a few that we've gotten like over the years and um that like really end up resonating with me and so like like we had one at like the podcast the rewatchables like that's become one of my favorite things that was introduced to me via this podcast and then 
the other one was when Robert put it like a, like the the fuck you I quit. It's just like this is an amazing account. I've done you know like I, we have, of course did the initial deep dive, but then have now just I love the content that they come out with and and just some of the things that employers put out in a public forum. You're just kind of yeah. like, how did you think this was gonna go? Right. You know. And, yeah, uh, you know, uh, with the advent of uh, such powerful social media, how are you foolish enough to put up uh, these, yeah, these signs or whatever? Yeah, like the most recent one was them talking about like you're not allowed to discuss your your wages, and that's proprietary information. It's like, right. oh my god, like <laughs> <laughs> what? So yeah, uh, so that's great. Okay, Chris, who's your dope follow this week? Uh, I don't know if I've done this one uh, already, but it, it it's worthwhile uh, really stressing how good it is. Um, and as as a, a bartender for the last 20 years and uh, definitely diving into my experiences at bars and enjoying bathrooms in bars, uh, um, the, this is a public toilet poetry-ish. Uh, and it's just photos of people who write poetry or draw things in public bathrooms. And it's just, it's beautiful. It's just, it's like it, it, it hits the same spot as like seeing people's pictures of like vanity license plates. It's that same like part of the inside of your brain that it just tickles. It's great. I I enjoy a good, a good restroom. I don't know if I've, if I've gone down the poetry, uh, tunnel yet but i guess i guess i gotta look into this and see if see if it see if it speaks to me as an enjoyer of of uh bathrooms i guess i don't know so we'll see so that's public toilet poetry ish ish instagram account okay all right so that's all and then my dope follow this week is going to be uh instagram account as well and it's miss agave and this is a bartender down in miami uh, she does really funny videos and different like point of view videos of, you know, people coming in with celebrity tequilas or just different conversations that she has at the bar. She also uh, hooked me up with a couple of recommendations when I was in Miami a couple weeks ago, months ago now. And um, just really, really good content. Uh, really funny, especially if you are an enthusiast of tequila and mezcal. She also has some really good recommendations there as well. So so check out Miss Agave. Really, really dope bartender out of uh out of Miami. But uh hey, you guys. There were some repeats, but those were some dope follows. I, I got one more. Okay, since I, got since one I more. repeated twice, which sucks. I feel like I failed I feel like I failed the assignment. <laughs> uh this one is specifically New York. However, I find that it's humorous enough that it could go anywhere and it has nothing to do with anything, but it's one that I follow and I, I enjoy every time it pops up in my feed. It's called Lord Give Me a Sign NYC. And it's a just a compendium of the signs that people hang in their hallways at their apartment buildings to bitch at or complain to their neighbors. Um, oh, fucking, I love that. That's and it's fantastic. Fucking, it's fucking and that's great. a brand new one. We have never had that one before. Thank you. Finally, I hit one. Jesus. <laughs> I was running out. Well, the telltale vintage and Lord, give me a sign. I think it's great. I think that's yeah. awesome. You know, and, and if anybody who didn't get the message from Robert's episode a couple of weeks ago, I mean, Hey, it's validation. Yeah. Go follow him. Subscribe to the Substack. I think also the great the, the thing about me even sharing Telltale Vintage is I am often uh, trying to buy these products and they go quickly because he just you know puts up a price and the first person to DM that they want it they get it. So and he does it only on Sundays. 
You just um, made so, it harder so for yourself. I'm, I'm probably making it more difficult for myself <laughs> to, to to get these cool ass products. Uh, you know yeah. who else does that? Uh, but it's not specifically uh, barware. Is uh, Josh Harris? Uh, oh yeah, he, he's he's always out there yeah. antique picking. Yes, yeah, right. right. So yeah, so the, you know, there's a couple of sources out there. Go out and buy some cool shit. Um, all right. Again, those were a lot of dope follows. The music for the Good Bottle Podcast is brought to you by the Moore Brothers. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five star review. And something I, I lost my I lost my uh, my script. It's, uh, it's not That's good. okay because I, I finally found mine. But you can go and follow us on Instagram or Facebook at the Good Bottle Podcast, or check out our individual ones. Chris is Chris Sinflair. Mine is D Garrison Six. Suther, where can they find you on on the social medias and whatnot? Every place I am creative drunk. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Thrinder, Grinder. You look for me. I'm in there somewhere. Oh, that's amazing. If you would like us, uh, I'm sorry, Chris. That's your part now. <laughs> yeah. Man, we're killing it today, man. Uh, yeah. If you would like for us to uh, uh, cover a story, or if you're working for a brand that would like to be part of this wonderful, incredibly professional show, uh, please email us at thegoodbottlepodcast at gmail.com. And as a reminder, you can visit our Etsy shop. You can get yourself a 100% celebrity agave free shirt. Or the coolest fanny pack in all the land. Uh, that stuff is super dope. And there's a little special message in there for you if you do get the fanny pack. Uh, and you can also drink some of the things that we drank on the good on at thegoodbottleshop.com. But until next time, guys. Cheers. Cheers, cheers everybody. I do need to get some Underberg at the shop. Yeah. Pretty offensive. Update our, today, update yeah. our script, too. Jesus. Jesus. Thank <laughs> you.